Hello and welcome back to the Shore Sports Network football podcast heading into week three. We're back every week talking Shore Conference football, Scott Stump and Bob Batters. And, uh, you know, heading into week three, we've had three full weeks of the season. Some teams have played two games. Others have played three. And a lot of the preseason questions are starting to be answered. The division races are, are really beginning to heat up and it's a fun time. You know, school is in session. Everyone's pretty much had you know, at least a couple days, some schools a full week. So it's really starting to feel more like the fall season and there's a lot of awesome games coming up. So we're excited to talk about it. We'll recap week two, look ahead to week three and, uh, you know, touch on some other interesting tidbits along the way. So we'll get right to it. A, a big week of games in terms of really the first big divisional weekend, a lot of non-conference, non-divisional games uh, in week zero and week one. And, you know, right off the bat, we had some impactful games uh, first and foremost on that list, you got to start with the uh, the Titanic matchup of American Division teams. It was number three, Rumson Fairhaven, visiting number one, Toms River North on Friday night at Borden Stadium. You know, big 42-21 win for Toms River North. I was there, so I'll get to, you know, my thoughts seen at firsthand. But, Scott, just interested to hear from you, you know, just your analysis of the game before it happened. And kind of your takeaways, just seeing how it played out after the fact. Yeah, well, breaking news, Micah Ford remains awesome. <laughs> um, but no, I think that the most we, we've run out of superlatives for him at this point. Uh, he was, he's the Gatorade New Jersey Player of the Year last year for a reason, and he's well on his way to earning that again. But I think the big thing is he plays big in big games. This is not a guy piling up stats on teams that they're just 10 times better than. I mean, he put up almost – 400 yards single-handedly on Rumson's defense. That does not happen. You know, like someone may, teams may beat them, but rarely does an individual player do that to a program that, you know, has, has been a, a stellar program now for 15, 20 years in the state finals every year. But, you know, him for him to play that well. But I also thought reading your story, it was interesting to take away how Jeremiah Pruitt, his versatility – you know, of being able that, that he would be a superstar on a lot of other teams and he does so much for them. And the, the, the compliments that coach Oserwitz had for him that, yes, we know all about Michael Ford. He was tremendous, ran for four touchdowns, piled up the yards, but it's like, even the next guys after him are just, that team is just so deep that you can get Rumson's within a touchdown of them. You know, and you think, Oh, it's a game. And then all of a sudden it's, it, they hit you so much with, Boom, touchdown. Now they're up by two. Then they get a stop. Then they hit you with one more touchdown. And you're just like, oh my God, we were just in it. Now we're down by 21 points. You hit it right on the head. You know, it's a it's a tall order to play them for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of problems that cause you X's and O's wise, certainly, but you're in it until you're not. And it can happen really quickly, as we saw. You know, Rumson did everything they could and, and got some fortunate breaks here and there. Um, you know, especially recovering that fumble right in the third quarter. Um, and they capitalized, but it's like Tom's North just their response was one of the more impressive things to me. You know, Rumson scores on a 92 yard touchdown on the first offensive play in the game. Right. And it's, you know, Jackson Gallagher takes a screen and just runs a bunch of people over for, a, a, you know, the tight end for a touchdown. And it's like, you know, Dave Ozerwitz was saying, like, not the guy we expected maybe to do that, but he's faster than you think. And then North comes right back. You know, on the first drive, 63-yard touchdown pass to to Pruitt. And that was on a third and 18 play. So it, it looked at times like, man, Rumson might have Tom's North in a bad spot, and they just find a way every single time. You know, they scored on their first four drives of the first half. 
The only thing that stopped them was the halftime and then a turnover, you know, early in the third quarter. But it's just how do you defend them when they can hit you with, with so many different things? And at the same time, they can also say, hey, we're just going to line up and run at you and you know it's coming and we know it's coming and you can't stop us. And that's kind of what happened. And, you know, Dave Osowitz pointed out and we're talking about, you know, Micah and, you know, he had he threw for 159 yards and two touchdowns. Ran for 237, four touchdowns, one of which was an 81-yard touchdown run. And Oz is talking about the most impressive play he saw probably. And I remember it. It was like an eight-yard gain maybe. But the way he finished this run, like it was so thunderous and just like it was like a devastating run. And Oz is like, when he's going like that, like I don't know how you stop him. And that was kind of the story the whole night. Well, and I think the other thing is, you know, you hear some of the comments from Rumson coach Jeremy Schulte and other people talking around the shore. It's still early. His senior year is not done yet. But people are starting to put him in that, like, no Sean Moreno, you know, all-time great shore conference pantheon. You know, that these back-to-back seasons he's having could potentially put him, you know, puts him in the discussion of, is he the greatest quarterback in the history of the shore conference? Now, by his high school play obviously Kenny Pickett is the greatest as far as overall accomplishments Heisman finalist first round draft pick starting quarterback Mm -hmm. of the Steelers but as far as purely his high school accomplishments Ashante Worthy obviously is the guy who's put up just the most absurd numbers of any quarterback in state history not just short conference so he's right up there in that discussion but I think yeah Ford people are starting to talk about him like like in the Quentin Nelson and Gesicki and Moreno and those kind of conversations of like all-time guys. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, you still have to wait for the career to conclude to really fully, you know, break that down. But, you know, this is a player who's committed to Stanford. He's, you know, he, he's the leader on a team that went 14 and though when the inaugural group five title last year, he's a four-year starter. He played running back as a freshman when they had another all-shore quarterback, Jay Kazanowski, takes over at quarterback as a sophomore. And then, you know, you see what he's done since then. And right now they look, you know, they're not going to say unbeatable because their schedule is tremendous and they'll face a lot of challenges. But, you know, they're the number one ranked public school in the state and it's certainly justified. And you know, like you said, he does it in big games and he does it on the other side of the ball too. Like he's a really, really good defensive player. Uh, it's just extremely impressive. Like he just does it game in and game out no matter what. And you're right. Like we might look back in a couple of years and say, we watched, you know, one of the top five careers in short conference history. And it's, it's hard to know that for sure. When you're seeing it with worthy, you knew it was special. And with Ford, again, you know, it's special. You just, you know, right. how special that's for the, the pundits to decide right. down the line. And especially given their schedule. So now they're up to, what are we? 17 wins in a row. And yes. The short conference record for perspective is 43 from the no Sean Nick Macaluso era Middletown South guys. It was funny. I was reading the the Caldwell, the team that beat Rumson in the group two final last mm-hmm. year. Theirs is, I believe, at 30 games now. Yes. That's the longest in the state. But the state record is something like 63 Paulsboro for like yeah. didn't lose for like five years straight, which is crazy. That's, that's a long winning streak. I remember that Middletown South winning streak. Uh, ended finally in like 2000, I believe it was six. Uh, yeah. Ocean yeah. came to Swamp with a really good team. Like Garrett Kalu, I remember had a huge game 
for them. But yeah, that that Middletown South Street was was speaking of which that's a perfect segue into the wildest game of the weekend by far. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy ending, you know, at the Rumson game uh, myself, you know, following the rest of the scores on Twitter and whatnot. And, uh, you know, just following the post of Len Bardsley, who covers, you know, the wall Manasquan area for the co-star. And it's like, you know, Wall's winning. Middletown South is winning. Now Wall's up again. And then Middletown South, you know, cut it. And then all of a sudden, like, wait, what? Middletown South interception to take the lead? So the way it broke down was Middletown South was down by two touchdowns with about three minutes left in the game. Scored a touchdown. uh, Didn't get the two-point conversion, I believe. And then Wall with the chance to run out the clock. But Richter, Owen Richter, their senior defensive back, comes on a blitz, jumps, knocks down what looked to be just a short pass, a quick out intercepts it and runs it back 43 yards for a touchdown gives Middletown South a 35 29 lead and they hold on for the win I mean just a huge win for the Eagles ranked fifth in the shore so banged up you know that's really been their theme these first three weeks um so a huge win for them on the other side just a heartbreaking win for wall which really you know they they got beat up pretty good by Manalapan but could be you know two and one easily um, you know, had the, the white knuckle win over Howell in week one by a point, but that's that's a really tough win for Wall, especially when you know wins are difficult to come by in that American division. Yeah, I mean, you look at Wall and you're like, that could have been that that win where they turn the corner, you know, like we're back, we're on our way back, you know, we're going to be a contender in this American division. We're kind of like putting the shore on notice a little bit that we're we're back, and yeah, to to take that loss is really tough. I mean. And for South, I mean, they had the craziest week because the week before against Raritan, their starting quarterback, safety, punter, kicker, every position on the field, uh, Jake Zwickiel, he was out. He came back for this game. He played offense, did not play in the secondary. Um, I talked to Coach Steve Antonucci. He said he he was kind of more of a game manager in this game. They weren't calling a lot of design runs for him because of the high ankle sprain. They didn't want to badly re-aggravate it. You know, he could have gotten hit or something like that. Although he said Jake approached him in the last like three minutes of the game when it was crunch time and said, you know, put the game in my hands, like uh, call plays for me, whatever it takes. Um, so that was big. And, you know, they were out they were without Donovan Summy. Uh, he was out because of a high ankle sprain. He suffered against Raritan. And then on top of it, the day after the Raritan game, um, they had another issue where, their starting corner, Anthony Puccio, and Dante Farrell-Brown, another starting defensive player, were involved in a bad car accident right outside the high school. So Puccio didn't play against Wall either because he was all banged up. He got he was driving. They got hit on the driver's side really bad. Steve Antonucci said he's lucky to even be alive. Luckily, he had no broken bones, no major issues, You know, just a little banged up. So he sat out, and Farrell-Brown actually played in that game. Uh, against wall so yeah they had all kinds of things going on but um you know that play by I, I actually spoke with owen richter too and he said on that play they motioned the back to the other side of the field so he thought they were going to turn and throw the other way mm-hmm. um and instead his his job was blitz he came sh- just on a straight corner blitz unblocked and yeah leaped in the air tipped it to himself and took off he said he could hear the whole crowd just going nuts as he's as he's running and he's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe, like, we just won this game. I think the shocking thing from the outside was Wall throwing the ball at all. You know, like, in that spot, 
Antonucci said that Middletown South had no timeouts left. So you would have thought, you know, maybe they're just going to run it into the line, try to run out the clock. You know, but maybe they're just trying to go for the kill there. You get a first, catch them off guard, you get a first down, you take a knee, the game's over. Um, I thought the craziest anecdote of all of it, though, was Al Bigos, who we know well, is longtime assistant for Antonucci at Middletown South. And apparently before that play, Antonucci said he started yelling, watch the pass, watch out for the pass. And everyone was kind of like, what? Like at this juncture of the game, they're not going to throw. So then all that transpires. And and Bigos literally remembered a play from like 10 years ago when Ed Guerrero was the coach of Manalapan in a similar spot, in a similar formation. They did the same thing and South got a turnover. And then after the game, they goes to the football office, pulls up their huddle account and pulls out that single clip from like a decade ago of the same play. That's amazing. You know, that's the, the that's, that's such a great nugget because as you mentioned, Albigo's longtime assistant, defensive coordinator throughout those, you know, the tremendous run they had. Um, and only recently moved off he coaches the D-line, a couple other positions. But yeah, he's he's been around that program for a very long time. And he that doesn't surprise me because he is one of those coaches who are like, wait a second, like I know this formation, like just pouring over film for hours and hours. And right. hey, that's why you do it. And uh that that's a pretty cool thing to recognize that and then have it turn out. Yeah, he was right, and it turned into a touchdown to win the game. Right, and that's that's just a season – that can be a season-defining play for both teams. I mean, Wall obviously is hoping it's not for them. You know, they're hoping to to bounce back, but that's a tough one to swallow when you feel like you get the stop on that two-point conversion. Then they recovered an onside kick, and South at that point is thinking our only hope is, you know, a strip sack or a fumbled snap or something, and then they come up with that, so – what an amazing finish uh, for the Eagles, especially, I mean, down the road, you're talking in that division. If you're going to take a couple losses, like as far as playoff qualification or a decent seed, like that game was huge for that. Surely. And uh, Middletown South with a bye this week. I mean, who who needs a bye more than them? Right. They will gladly take that, especially because in week four, uh, they'll play Tom's River North. So really need to get healthy. Uh, you know, for that one. And then Wall, on the flip side, we talk about that schedule. They now go to Red Bank Catholic, which is coming off a bye. So the slate gets much tougher for Wall, Middletown South, a chance to rest up. We'll see if they come out with the, the full roster, you know, when we four against Tom's North, or maybe, you know, they elect to, you know, get some guys even healthier, given the opponent. Not saying they're going to pack it in against them, but, you know, listen, it's a long season. You try to play the long game when your team like Middletown South with uh, legitimate championship aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the story of their season so far has been these crazy injuries and these occurrences. The good thing is Kean Casey, the senior who was taken off the field by ambulance against Raritan and suffered a fractured vertebra in his back, didn't need surgery. We talked about this last week, but the good thing is he was well enough where he visited the team in the locker room before that wall game. So that was a big lift for those guys to see him back doing pretty well but yeah they are like snake bit it's like their their season is like final destination or something where you're like so worried like one thing is going to lead to another is going to lead like it's like scary like like Antonucci was like don't jinx us like please like we're just trying to you know get back on solid ground here after everything that we've kind of gone through these first couple weeks but um yeah that was a that was a crucial you know thrilling huge win for them and the game I was at on uh, Friday night was right down the street from me. Neptune played Pinelands. 
The Wildcats, 2-0 and for the first time in 13 years under Rank Coach John Tierney. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, you know, they – it was the first half was only 7 nothing. Neptune was really jamming up their run game, which is one of their strengths. But Mike Frawley such a big X factor for them, their senior wide receiver. Last play of the first quarter, he takes a little slant, beats his man off that, stiff arms the safety, boom, 44 yards touchdown. So even though they struggled, they still had the lead. And their defense – was playing great and Neptune honestly they're a very young team they were shooting themselves in the foot with holding penalties we're calling back like 30 yard gains unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after like a 25 yard gain um so that certainly helped Pinelands too uh and then in the second half they just kind of grinded him down um Gerald Newsom huge play on special teams 65 yard punt return he wasn't even on the team last year he's a senior he came back out for the team this year and he's been another weapon he has two touchdowns in two games. Um, and, uh, yeah, in the fourth quarter, Frawley hauled in another pass over two defenders, set up a one-yard touchdown by Jamin Parkinson. That kind of put things away. But they're kind of a team that just finds a way to win. That was their first, first shutout since 2021. We know we know Joe Adelizzi Jr. in the short, uh, tight yellow <laughs> pants was fired up after that one, their defensive coordinator. Like he said, he, go, he goes, I told you at halftime, I don't care what the offense does. If they don't score, they don't win. So he was, you know, they're thrilled with that. But their, you know, their goal, their immediate goal, obviously, is to win this Liberty Division. And so far, they've put themselves in a good position. Yeah, they've really looked solid just on both sides of the ball. You mentioned you know, playing good defense. You know, Neptune certainly didn't help its cause with all those penalties, but that's a dangerous team. You know, Eddie Green's run for over 100 yards in two straight games. You know, their freshman quarterback defensive back is is a dangerous player. Uh, but again, he's still young. Still a good shutout, though. You know, that's anytime you get a shutout, that's big. A player on Pylons that stood out to me these first couple of weeks has been their quarterback, Ty Klein. He's been like Mr. Efficiency. I think it was a perfect like seven for seven in week one. You know, only had like three or four incompletions through a touchdown pass. Um, you know, how did he look back there just distributing the ball? You know, they're going to be run first with Jamie Parkinson, but, you know, he's got one of the better wide receivers in the shore, and it seems like he's taking advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, he gets the ball out pretty quick, and he also uh, doesn't make a lot of risky throws. You know, mm -hmm. like the stuff he puts is pretty much on the money to people. They do have a, you know, a decent screen game and like a, a short little – he'll put one up to Frawley because he trusts him, obviously, to just go right up over people and make a play. Um, but, yeah, he and, – and as we talked about in the preseason, you know, that was a position they had to fill. They graduated their quarterback from last year, uh, Allen, who had a real nice year. So – yeah, for him stepping right in that spot, they don't really seem like they've missed a beat in that area. Um, you know, he gets the ball to their playmakers. And again, they're not asking him to throw the ball 30 times a game. It's like you, if you throw the ball 10, 12 times a game, just make it happen on your opportunities. And when teams start selling out to stop our run game, beat them over the top. And uh, Pylons 2-0, they will uh, they'll play Central this week. Uh you know, interesting game for John Tierney, his son Liam yep. Hurley, a wide receiver and defensive back for the Golden Eagles, who are going to try to, you know, bounce back from a tough loss. Uh, but, you know, I'm certain he, if you ask John, he's probably like, hey, I want Liam to, like, you know, have a good game, but, like, we got to win this game, too. Right. So, tough yeah. spot for, for him have 100 a yards receiving as long as uh, we're getting the win after it's over. Exactly. So, Wildcats will look to move to 3 0 and continue their strong season. Another ranked matchup. It was an important one in the Colonial Division was number nine, Manalapan, then number nine, Manalapan. The Braves will move up, spoiler alert, in the uh, 
latest short 16 to come out, um, you know, on Tuesday. The Braves really rebounded nicely from that tough loss to Jackson Memorial. 33-6 over Long Branch. Uh, really wasn't, you know, particularly close. Manalpin opened up a big lead. Long Branch scored late. Really good balance again for the Manalpin offense. You know, their quarterback, Ryan Darty threw for over 200 yards. You know, uh, Asir Wolfolk and uh, Jason Rodriguez combined for over 150 yards rushing. The defense played really well. And just another really good win for Manalpin, who's, you know, looking stronger and stronger every week. Again, it's a team that can easily be 3-0. and And maybe we're, you know, we're talking about them a little bit differently, but I think it's just important to look at the way that loss happened and, you know, those games completely. And you recognize Manalpin's a pretty darn good team, and they're bouncing back. You know, I've already equaled their win total from last, or excuse me, close to equaling their win total from last season when they went three and seven. And you know, they certainly are a, are a contender in that colonial division. Yeah. And I think the big revelation this year has been their offense. Last year, their defense was pretty good. They were just losing a lot of low scoring games in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I remember after the season opening win against Wall, their head coach, Don Lapore, when I talked to him, he said Doherty is the key. And so far, he's played like it. Like you just noted, he had a big game against Long Branch. He adds a dimension they didn't necessarily have last year as far as balancing things out with the run game. And not only that, it seems like he's getting better and better. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's playing better. That's his best game against Long Branch. So, like, he's improving as the season goes along. Um, because if this team is capable of, you know, putting 28, 30 points on a good team, then they're, that, to me, is a really dangerous potential playoff team. And clearly they're right in the mix for that division title. Long Branch, unfortunately, just that injury to Ernest Reeve breaking his throwing hand and not being able to start a quarterback for them and kind of being a week-to-week as far as whether he's going to play offense or not right now, that has really crippled their offense. They came out so good against Piscataway in that first game, but they've really struggled on that side the last two weeks. Yeah, they're a really tough team to evaluate now because when they're whole with Reeve at quarterback, you know, I believe they're a top 10 team, uh, but without him, like, are they still a ranked team for us? A top 16, like probably, but they're going to have to find a way to win some games here, you know, coming up without him at quarterback. So it's, it's, that's a tough start. You know, he's your senior quarterback, you know, all short level player. You rely a lot on him. You know, a lot of your offense is based around what he can do when he's not there. You know, there's not always a, a plan B that's going to work, you know, close to that level for obvious reasons. So just a tough time for, uh, excuse me, Long Branch now. And the hope is that, you know, for them and for Reavy as a senior, that he can get back sooner than later. But like you said, you saw him in the Donovan game. He had a cast on that hand. You know, you break something, a hand, a thumb on your throwing hand as a quarterback. It's like, you don't. And and the cast, it's a big, it's like a hard cast, like a big cast. There's no way he could be able to grip the football like wearing that thing when I saw him against Donovan Catholic. Um, And to me, that's a separation game in that colonial division race, right? That kind of puts Manalpin a leg up on paper right now. Again, Colts, Manalpin plays Colts again, another huge game in that Mm -hmm. division, free old regional district throwdown. But Point Borough, Manalpin right now, to me, given the early results, look like on the collision course for that division championship, but still Colts next going to want to have something to say about that as well yeah. as some other teams, but that Manalpin win kind of, you know, edges them out, I think ahead. And right now it looks like them and point borough could be the ones playing for this title in that division. Yeah, I would agree. And he said big one against Colts now Colts like, Oh, and two, but the losses are point borough and RBC. So like, you can't, 
you, you can't put too much stock in that in terms of like, oh, it's a winless team. Like, right. Let's see. And they have a running back who could put like 250 yes. yards on you in a game and exactly. single-handedly beat you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could never count that team out. Yeah. And it's a, like you said, it's a Freeld Regional District game. It's a rivalry. So you, you never know what's going to happen in that one. Another big one within that Colonial Division. Another huge game was in Homedale. The Battle of Homedale, I guess you can call it, was Homedale with a, a scintillating overtime victory, 20-14 to 14 over St. John Vianney. They rallied a late touchdown by their sophomore quarterback, Jack Cannon, who's looked really good through two weeks, uh, tied the game up. They went to overtime. They got a stop, turned it back around, and then Gary Collier from nine yards out for the game winner, 20-14 to 14 for the Hornets. They're 2-0. They've surpassed their win total from all of last season when they just had, you know, a one and eight season, which terrible circumstances. And it's their first win over St. John Manny since 2010. So yeah, when I saw that, I was a little surprised that it had been that long. And they've played, they, you know, sometimes you see that stat, it's a little misleading and you're like, oh, they've only played like three times since then. They've played almost every year until once the divisions changed to what they are now, they were not in the same division for a couple of years, but they've played each other basically every year since 2010 so that was a significant i believe it was a nine game winning streak for st javiani so i know the lancers are young they're struggling their own three now but that's a really good win for a homedale team you know coming off a one win season and you know they they have a lot of confidence now and they're playing well you know i talked to their head coach jeff Reynus, and he just said his biggest takeaway was like our kids just played so hard in that game and what else can you ask for then they get the result so Homedale 2-0, it's a feel-good story, but also more than that, like they're a contender now in that Constitution division. You know, you have Oceans 2-0, Homedale 2-0, Manasquan 1-1 with their loss to Point Borough, and Shore 1-1 with their loss to Manasquan. So I think those teams right now in that division, it's going to be really intriguing to see how those games shake down. We talked about that Manasquan-Shore game potentially being for the division title. Now it looks like Ocean and Homedale are going to have to say, you know, have something to say about that. Yeah, and Homedale to me is similar circumstances as maybe Freehold Borough. They're basically trying to show last year was like an aberration, mm-hmm. you know, like an anomaly. Like we're a competitive, good program. You know, we had they had obviously Coach Reynas had medical issues last year, wasn't around the team for a lot. You know, they they did lose a lot of a couple all shore players to graduation. These these things can happen at a public school, um, where sometimes you have that one year crunch and things really get away from you just like freehold went winless last year but this year they already got a win and they took brick right to the end in their game mm-hmm. um but yeah and i think you, you were you were right to mentioning uh jack cannon their sophomore really seems like he's become a real weapon offensively um for that team right away uh and when the quarterback can make plays in that offense where you're so worried about the running game uh that makes them even more dangerous and to have that kind of poise in tight games late in your first season, uh, that's a good sign for them. But yeah, I think they're trying to make last year seem like, you know, we've built something good here at home though. It was kind of a blip in the radar. We're going to get back to being in the mix for, you know, the division and, and pushing for a playoff berth. Certainly, you know, just a really good start for home though. And we'll see if they can keep it going. And what is, you know, through three weeks become a very interesting constitution division. Moved out to the freedom division where there was another ranked matchup. Uh, and a really impressive win for number 10, Marlboro. 31-0 over Southern. That was Southern came in 2-0, Marlboro 1-0 starting in week one. 
And I'll admit it, like I picked Southern. I looked at Marlboro's result, you know, week one against St. Javiani, 16-7, you know, got the win, but didn't have a ton going offensively. Southern had been pretty dynamic, scoring a lot of different ways offensively, scoring on special teams. And Marlboro, to me, that's a really impressive statement for them. 31-0 and the way they did it. You know, they I'm going through and doing all the player of the week stuff and picking some of that stuff out. And it stood out to me that Marlboro hasn't had anyone really stand out. And that's and I mean that in a positive way, in the sense where they've gotten so many contributions from so many different players. It's been two really true team wins. And, and their star is Matt Cassidy, was the first team all all shore selection last year at linebacker, had a really good year at running back. He, teams have bottled him up through first two weeks, and it hasn't mattered. Marlboro still won two games. And to me, that's the biggest thing for a team that was senior heavy last season and has come into this season showing, hey, like we still have some pretty good depth and we can win. Yeah, I'm with you in that I picked Southern and looking at that score as that game was going along. It wasn't surprising that Marlboro won. You know, it was I didn't think, oh, you know, like they didn't have a chance. It was the fact that they just steamrolled them. Like that was an, an eye opener of like, wow. They shut him out and they hung a bunch. You know, Braden Klein, their quarterback, has shown to be a real playmaker. Like you said, it's not just, you know, Cassidy running for 150 yards or something every game. Klein has found multiple different receivers for big plays in the passing game. He can run a little bit himself. Um, and you're right. Maybe that, you know, the Vianney's been battling people, but you, you thought, okay, they just kind of like squeezed that one out against them uh, by, you know, was 16 to 7 or something like that. That you mm -hmm. thought, okay, you know, yeah, maybe Southern is a, is too tall a task for them. Instead, they went down there and again, really impressive. I thought that game just jumped out because of the score, not who won, but the, the score. So yeah, I think Marlboro is trying to show, like we're for real, you know, that it's not just this last year, couple of years. It's like some Cinderella story. Like we have a real program here, and they're gunning for that third straight winning season for the first time mm -hmm. in their history. Uh, but yeah, they, I think they really opened some eyebrows with that win. And back to Braden Klein, he's had a really good start to the season, you know, ran for 85 yards and a touchdown. I think I'm like nine carries, you know, efficient day throwing the ball. And last season he got thrown into the fire, not expecting to, you know, see the field that quarterback much. They had a senior in AJ Schwartz who they, they were really high on, you know, he suffered a leg injury that, you know, pretty gruesome one that knocked him out for the season. Um, miraculously, he was able to come back for basketball season, which was awesome. But you know, they lost Schwartz, and Klein had to step in. And they really leaned on the running game, but he made some, you know, some big plays down the stretch in the season to help them win some games to get in the playoffs. He made some big throws in the playoff win against Washington Township, and I'm sure that gave him some confidence. And you see, this year he started off really strong. So if they have that going, and teams have to really account for that, that should open things up for Cassidy, who we know is a proven running back, and defensively. You know, they, they've been great. Seven points in two games. So got to like what you see from Marlboro. Deserving spot in the top 10. They'll move up in this rankings, uh, the, next week's rankings, excuse me. Um, and they, they they travel to Howell on Thursday for an interesting game. Another freehold regional district slugfest. And Howell's a team that could easily be 2-0. and You know, lost by a point to Wall. And then, uh, you know, lost by two to Middletown North. So two ranked losses for Howell. So, I know Howell's 0 too, but that's a dangerous game um, for Marlboro, but a really good start for the Mustangs. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think the thing with Braden Klein is there's no scenario he hasn't seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had to face Tom's River North yes. in the semifinals of the playoffs. Like once you dealt with that on the road in that atmosphere against that caliber of team, 
there's no game that's going to intimidate you or team that's going to scare you. And coming back with those games under his belt, yeah, he's become uh, a real weapon for them. And you just mentioned Howell. Man, that's two heartbreakers. A one-point loss to Wall, now the two-point loss to Middletown North. And, you know, Middletown North's defense stepping up. I know we've talked a lot about their offense early on, but their defense did a pretty good job against Brick Memorial, even though they had that tough loss. And now they go out, they hold Howell to 12 points again getting some help from, you know, special teams where they're, they're able to get that two point win. But, you know, that's maybe like North is kind of one of those teams. that's almost just like they find a way to win somehow, whether it's the offense, you know, lighting it up or the defense grinding one out. And that's a team that again, that could easily be three and out. Now look, you are at your record is, and you you didn't win the game for a reason, but you know, they've been right in it. You know, they, they lost 21, 17, the brick Memorial, you know, they beat Friel Township. Yeah, they have the win over Howell. Very strong defensively. Um, and offensively, they have to make it work without one of their top players. You know, their senior running back, Nino Morgan Acker, did not play in the game. Uh, unconfirmed as to why. You know, you just assume it's an injury, but we haven't been able to confirm that. Uh, and they still went out there and, and made the plays when they had to offensively. Dylan Briggs, you know, six catches for over 100 yards. Uh, you know, Luke Sheehan with a, a touchdown pass through tight end, Gavin Halloran, and then Shane Vellante getting into the end zone. And then stopping a two-point conversion to get the win. So, like you said, like by any means necessary, you get the win, you move on. And Middletown North playing well early in the season. You know, those kinds of wins tell you a lot when you can win those close games because you're you're not going to blow everyone out. You're going to have to find a way to win those games where you know something not everything's working for you or it's just a tight game and you got to pull one out at the end. So, an encouraging uh, start for Middletown North. They take a big step up in competition though this week. They'll host number seven, Jackson Memorial. Jackson's 2-0, you know, playing great football through two weeks. A really strong running game with their uh, sophomore, Jonah Glenn. So we'll see if that rush defense is up to the test. Yeah, and I think the two, like, surprise – I don't say hugely surprising, but surprising were the, both Tom's Rivers. Tom's River East, 35-22 over a central team that in the preseason we considered a division contender, title mm-hmm. contender – and Tom's River South playing a 2-0 Monmouth regional team and shutting them out after I think South had lost like 10 games in a row. I think they ended a 10-game losing streak. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so two just huge wins. I mean, we'll start with East. What a night for Avery Phillips. I know. So two, he blocks yeah. – yeah, two rushing touchdowns, and then he blocks two punts, both of which got returned for touchdowns. Uh, it was – who was that Luke brush. And then uh, Justin bell had the return touchdown. So yeah, a huge, huge day for Phillips, huge special teams day for the Raiders in general. And they just jumped on central early with those special teams, touchdowns built a, a four score lead uh, and then held on the rest of the way. So after an O and two start, you know, a loss to a brick team, that's three and we'll touch on a minute. And then, you know, Tom's over North, you know, 42 nothing. It's that again doesn't surprise me. I mean, anybody. yeah, they hadn't scored a point yet mm-hmm. this, in the season and they come out yeah. and put up 35. I talked to their head coach, Kyle Sandberg, and as regarding the punts, he just said, you know what? Like, we weren't going to sit back. We were going to like force the action. We were just going to send everybody at them on the punt. What did we have to lose to see if we could, you know, get something to happen on special teams? And obviously, those that that's huge um, for them. And it's crazy because it was 42 nothing, but he said they did take some things away from that Tom's River North game because 
It was only 14 nothing until the last minute of the first half, and he felt like we were hanging in with this, you know, juggernaut team. Um, and he told the kids not to get down, that there were some positives they could take away. And he really feels like, you know, why can't we be in the mix in the Liberty Division? Mm-hmm. You know, there obviously we said Pineland's kind of probably the favorite right now, but after beating the central team that we thought may be the number two team, given Pinelands a hard time. Now you've put your hat in the ring as a division title contender. So I think, um, you know, that was a big game for the Raiders confidence, especially inside that division. Okay. Well, yeah, we played two really good teams to start the year outside the division, but like we can still be a championship team, even though mm-hmm. we took those two losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the Tom's River South game, just given how much their defense has struggled in recent years to go out and get a shutout, that was really impressive for them. Yeah. In that and after giving up 42 points to Holmdale in their season opener. So like a stark turnaround for them. And, you know, 6 nothing. it's all about the defense. Uh, Lelou, Aiken Lelou, their junior linebacker, nine tackles, five tackles for a loss, three sacks, a fumble recovery. So uh, he was one of our defensive standouts uh, in our divisional players of the week this week. So, yeah, a big turnaround win for them. And now those two teams will square off against each other. So right. you have South versus East in a big one. Uh, again, in that division, you talked about Tom's River East. They beat Poundlands last year. So they're probably saying, hey, like, if we can, you know, that was the first division game. So they start getting on a roll. Why aren't they, you know, talked about right. as contenders too? So if they can, you know, win this game against South, then, yeah, you talk, talk about the Raiders as a team that can challenge there. Yeah, and that would be a real big turnaround for them. You know, I know the last couple of years, East and South have both struggled a little bit. So, yeah, if the winner of this game immediately stamps themselves as a division title contender in a division where there's no, you know, overwhelming favorite. Yes, Pinelands, because of their experience and winning seven games last year. But like you said, East beat them last year. These are all like winnable games for these teams. So, yeah, that – uh that was that was just a huge week for both of those teams. So it's good to see the the Tom's Rivers back in the mix. In the game that was so good, it took two days to complete. <laughs> I jest, but that was a uh, you know Brick Township, the Dragons three and zero after a a hard fought fourteen seven win over Friel Borough game that started on Saturday at noon. They went. It's funny. I, I'm following the games on, on Twitter. It was just the two games on, on Saturday, uh, and I'm following the, the Keyport Lake game and the Brick Friel game. And I see it's tied seven, seven, half, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, full disclosure, like I'm watching college football, watching the Notre Dame game, which was also in a weather delay. I'm going, what? I haven't heard anything about this free old game in a while. So I texted Brick Athletic Director Jay Longo, who used to be the free old borough athletic director. So that was kind of Longo Bowl over there. I said, hey, what happened to your guys' game? He's like, oh, we're still, sorry, we're still in a weather delay. We're at halftime. Like a two-and-a-half-hour weather delay. And free old borough doesn't have lights. So I believe around five o'clock they had to make the decision to suspend the game, bring it back Sunday morning at eight a.m. To start that was my big thing. Half. I get coming back, but to be ready to go, like let's snap the ball in the middle of a football game at eight in the morning on a Sunday, look, it's crazy. It's Sunday. People got football to watch. You know, <laughs> the NFL started. So, but uh, as that started back up, and it was Brick pulling away. You know, a a seventy yard touchdown pass. From senior quarterback Ryan Bontorno to junior wideout Jaden Johnson, the fourth quarter stood as the go-ahead touchdown, and Brick's defense did it again. It was a free old team that scored 35 points in a week one win over Keyport. Brick held them to just one touchdown. That came in the first half. And Brick's 3-0. Their story has been their defense. You know, I talked to their head coach, Lenz Danowitz, 
You know, they've given up 14 points in three games, 121 yards per game, two picks, four fumble recoveries, 19 sacks. So they're really getting after the guys in the backfield. You know, is it sustainable to win low scoring games the whole year? You know, probably not. You're going to have to, the offense will probably have to score more than they've been doing. And I believe 19, 12, and now 14 in three games. But, you know, going back to Pylands and what their defense corner Joe Adelizzi said, if their team doesn't score, like they can't win. So Brick getting doing a really good job there. Bontorno, a career day, 234 and two TDs through the air. And Johnson, 108 yards receiving. He had both receiving touchdowns. Also a 17-yarder that tied the game after Freehold had the early lead. Yeah, and I think Brick has a, you know, I don't even want to say dark horse, maybe dark horse just because Gallagher won a, a defensive player of the year candidate emerging here early on. Yes. You know, their senior linebacker, Jake Toy, is one of the more underrated players in the shore. You know, second team all shore selection for us last year. He does really everything for them. Defensively, he's a linebacker, big game, 15 tackles, you know, amongst his other, uh, you know, exploits. He plays H back for them. So he'll, he'll carry the ball, you know, out of the backfield to line him up in the wildcat. He'll catch passes kind of like a tight end. You know, he punts two for them. He does everything. And he like, no one needs an introduction to brick football. Cause he comes from brick football royalty. He is, his mother is Cindy Acropolis. His grandfather is Bob Oriema. So like, this is someone who is well-versed in the lore of, of brick sports. He's also a standard hockey player for them. So, you know, talking to the head coach, he said he's one of the best all-around players he's ever coached. Um, so that that's an impressive statement. Well, yeah, I mean, considering Jasir Taylor is a member of the Los Angeles Chargers yeah. in the NFL, his former mm-hmm. uh, D-back, that's, that's definitely some high praise. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a great start for Brick. Obviously, at 3-0, and you know, the difficulty will, will start to increase for them. Um, but, again, you're 3-0 and and your defense is playing awesome. Yeah, and – I like we talked about last week when we were previewing this game, we we're saying, you know, it's freeholds offense versus bricks defense and brick mm-hmm. clearly won that battle. It's almost like you can't wait to see that Connor Deeds brick Memorial offense mm-hmm. go against this brick defense in that showdown yeah. that the green dragons have had the better of for a couple, for a little while here now, pretty much for the history of, of the, the, <laughs> the brick morals program back right. in the early eighties and the Mustangs have won some, but. Brick has controlled that series. I, I know that all too well as a Brick Morrill alum. But, yeah, Brick's playing great. And, like, we talked about this in the preseason. Rick Brick Morrill with Connor Dietz and a bunch of other really standout offensive players, you look at them as the, the favorite, I guess. But, if you know, if you're Brick, you're saying, wait a second, we beat them basically every year. Like, we should be the favorite. Right, right now, Brick's 3-0. They play an 0-3 Barnegat team this week. If they can pick up a win there, they've moved to 4-0. That's a real, that freedom division is kind of fun. Brick, brick more, Friel Township, you know, who we'll get to right now coming on strong. So that, that's going to be a fun one. Some big games coming up. Yeah, As I mentioned, Friel Township. Yeah, yeah two and one. Wins. Yeah, they had that week zero loss to Middletown North where they were tied at the half and Middletown North, you know, rattled off 24 straight in the second half to win that one going away. But they bounced back with the win over Red Bank. And then, you know, Madawan really put up a fight. I think that was a desperate team with their backs against the wall, 0-2. And Friel Township gutted out a 20-18 to win over the Huskies. Nick Cardone and uh, John Paul Cortez hooked up for three TDs, and that was a difference. So, uh, again, one of those just find a way to win, similar like how we talked about Middletown North. Friel Township gets it done, again, playing solid defense. 
And they're two and one right in the mix in that division. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if that, you know, if people really in the preseason included them in that group, to me, they've kind of forced their way into the conversation with the way they played. Uh, we know offensively they can light you up throwing the ball uh, as Nick Cardone showed. And they're also a dangerous rushing team. Um, but you're right. I think the the revelation so far the last couple of weeks has been their defense. I know it was a rough first week uh, against Middletown North, but they've really rebounded um, to throw themselves back into the division title contender. And now that's a really interesting game against Freehold Borough. I mean, besides just their rivalry, their all-time series, that to me is a another huge game coming up this week for both of those teams as far as like which one of us is going to jump back out and remain in this division title race. Definitely. You know, those two teams play, they renewed their, they've always played. They they haven't always been in the same division, but as Freehold Regional District rivals, and that's a game that they try to get on the schedule. They renewed the rivalry, I want to say within the last five years, to go back to the Duke, the trophy they play yes. for, which is cool. You got to have a rivalry game with like a cool name, like a cool trophy. They have that now. So again, that's another, Freehold Township wins that game. Then you say, okay, Freel Township, Brick, Brick, Morrill, right at the top. Freel Borough wins that game. You know, they put their hand up like, hey, don't forget about us. Like, we're right here too. And that's a division that could come down to the wire. Going back to, you're talking about their defense. And yes, it's played really well. Traditionally, when Corey Davies teams, they score points. When they have a defense to match it, they're going to be a problem. They have actually had a little bit of instability at quarterback where they've had a guy, they've had two guys, and they've kind of went back and forth, rode the hot hand. You know, Nick Cardone as a junior now has seen time since he's a freshman. You know, he's really grabbed that job, you know, by the reins. And he's definitely their guy now. You know, three TD passes, all three of them to Cortez, you know, three for 212. Cortez, 83 yards and three touchdowns. You know, he he seems to really have a grasp of that offense. He's playing smart football. He's spreading the ball around. And uh, that's it just bodes well for Friel Township. The stability of the quarterback and the defensive play. Considering what we talked about before, like some of the players they've lost to transfer and they've come out two and one, you know, you, you got to like what you're seeing from the Patriots. And and again, a big one against uh, against Burrow this week. Yeah, they've been really resilient. And uh, and you're talking about putting up some big numbers. How about Manchester's running back? I mean, the, the, first off, the Hawks off to a three and start for the first time in 20 years and their school record for single season is six wins. They're already halfway there and we're in like the second week of September. So it could be a special season for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, they came out and uh, took care of business against Point Beach. Josh Love, 244 rushing and four TDs on nine carries in the first half. Yeah, it was pretty wild. He, uh, trying to see, he had like, he was just ripping off long touchdowns, 40, 50, 60, like every time he touched the ball. And, and that's a veteran player. And Manchester, like, look, Manchester's in that Patriot division with the small schools for a reason. They've struggled, but now they're starting to look like, you know, they're a little bit of like the overpowering team in there to group two, sometimes group three school, depending on, on, the, on the years and, right. and the enrollment. But, you know, right now they are, I wouldn't say they're the favorite, but they're right up there. Is You know, Manchester and Keyport, you know, early on have been putting up some huge offensive numbers. Uh, Manchester's undefeated. Keyport's only loss is to Freehold Borough. That's a game we're definitely looking forward to in a couple of weeks. But as far as this week, yeah, Josh Love taking care of business. Anytime you can do that all in one half, 
And not only that, it was, doesn't he have like 11 or 12 touchdowns already in like yeah. three games? He's just every week it's been like Josh Love, like either but 200. I don't want to be the rain on the parade touchdowns. guy, but that, as you know, that's what I do best. <laughs> the three teams they have played are a combined 0 and 9. Yes. So, you know, yes, excellent start. I mean, you're generating enthusiasm and excitement in it. And yeah, you've handled your business. But I still think they have something to prove as the schedule gets a little harder. I completely agree. It's still, and even in talking with Tommy Farrell and texting him, like he's very excited about three and oh, but you know, in talking to him, like he's pumping the brakes, like, look, like we got to keep it going. So I if he's telling us that I can only imagine what the message is to the players. Like, this is awesome, but like we haven't done anything yet. Like, if you want to accomplish the goals you set out, you can't rest on your laurels here because they don't have that history and tradition of just getting it done where they get the benefit of the doubt. You know, I talk about that. There's some teams that you just give them the benefit of the doubt because they've done it and, and you have that faith to work it out. Manchester, not at that point, but again, an awesome start. And they're right there contending for a division title through three weeks. And two games, just, just real quick hits here at the end. Rarity got their first win of the year, you know, by beating Red Bank, who continues to struggle. I thought that was a really nice bounce back win for Rowden. You know, they, they had that 19 to nothing game against Middletown South where they only had like 16 total yards or something. So to come out, get the win, play great defense, do enough off, you know, improve offensively. I thought that was a good win for them. Jackson Liberty on the board in the win column, beating Keensburg 27, 16, their first win of the year. Um, everything else, you know, was pretty status quo. I think we covered, you know, everything from that last mm-hmm. week and, more, you know, American division juggernaut showdowns this week and, you know, more divisional action. I think we're really getting a much clearer picture of how this is going to shake out. And it's crazy that before long, we're soon going to be start talking about who's in a, who's in the run for a high playoff seed, who's in the run yeah. to make a playoff berth. It's crazy because the season starts so early that it's like by the time you're even to October, you're like getting down the home stretch. It's really true. Um, and you, know, you get into it the the week the day to day the week to week coverage and you look up and you're like whoa it's like it's week like six and like the playoffs are on the horizon it does it comes insanely quick I know we say it every year but it really is true going back to the some of the the other results we touched on you know Raiders played really good defense through two weeks so that's got to be you know the offense wasn't going to be the same when you graduate a running back the caliber of Kieran Falzone and a really versatile player like Dan Calicari but. Their defense, you know, 19 points in Middletown South. Like, that's, you know, I know Kyle Gallagher ran wild in that game, but they played pretty strong. So, good win for them. Kyle Walling with a big game, 14 tackles. Jobby Dekas, double-digit tackles as well. You know, Ocean, again, we mentioned them 2-0. James Sobieski, another good game, three total touchdowns. Very versatile player for them. They're playing solid defense. That Asbury Park team is dangerous. So, Ocean, like, it's like post-Tyler Douglas. So, it was like, what do we expect from them? What are they going to be? Right now they're 2-0, so you got to like that start. Jackson, nice tidy 21-0 win over Lacey. Jonah Glenn, over 200 yards rushing. Again, a win you expect for them, they move on, play Middletown North. Same thing with Brick Morrow. Connor Dietz, you know, another like over 400-yard total game, five touchdowns. Just, you know, move along 3-0 and, uh, you know, Brick Morrill, uh, you know, some more big games. They play Madawan uh, this week, so. Madawan 0-3, still a dangerous team, but you got to like the way the Mustangs are playing. Jackson Liberty the win. And then back to Keyport, you know, Nazir Treadwell is going to be one of those small school players who is like, when we're doing all shore, he's just a lock because 
you know, while it's a small school, like you look at him and you say he could play on any team. Yeah, Six I think that's total TDs. Yeah, that's and that's always a thing every year when you're putting mm-hmm. together the offshore teams. The small school guys feel like they get disrespected sometimes. But on the other hand, sometimes you see guys put up numbers, but you're like, uh, if this team was playing, you know, Rumson or Middletown South or like yeah. bigger schools every week, I don't know if this kid would be getting these kind of numbers. So it's always tricky. But yeah, he's one of those guys that you drop in the middle of any game on any team in the state and he belongs. I mean, he's going he's to a Holy dynamic Cross, athlete. You know, yeah, know, Holy Cross, which took like Boston College yes. to the wire of the week. They could have used this year, Treadwell, maybe <laughs> for some early action. But he's been awesome. You know, them putting him at quarterback has been huge for them, especially because they have a lot of weapons around him. You know, Makai Henderson, you know, Andre Matthews, Mike Ford have all had big games through these first you know few weeks. Ryan Burns leading the defense. So Keyport. I'm impressed by them because again, it's a small school. You know, there's a lot of not a lot of depth. It's very class dependent on if you have a strong group of juniors and seniors, you know, they're they're kind of gonna guide the way. And they lost they lost some transfers too. Roman Black, yes. their starting quarterback from last year, transferred. So they're doing all this without the team that they maybe thought they were gonna mm-hmm. have coming back. Yeah, Jason Glesman and his staff and just the, the everybody there has done a really nice job. And uh so it was good to see Keyport, you know, in the mix. It's always fun going out of Jackson Street on a Saturday when the Red Raiders are playing well and, and the supporters are out. So, uh, you know, that does it for the, the week three games. Um, let's just look at some of the games coming up in uh, – or excuse me, week there's a week two game. See, the week zero still throws me off. I'm like, I know there's some teams that played three games. Wait, we're not through week three. We're moving into week three now. So the big one – and we touched on a little bit, but that's Donovan Catholic at Tom's River North Friday night. Or, excuse me, Tom's River at Donovan Catholic. Uh, the number one Mariners, you know, go right down the road against the number four Griffins. It's a huge rivalry. Um, you know, the American Division game, like all that stuff that goes into it. We know what Tom's River North brings to the table. We talked about that. Donovan coming off a bye, really strong in the trenches, defense playing really well. You know, Michael Thomas, one of the best wide receivers in the state. Najee Calhoun, an up-and-coming running back as a sophomore. And I think the question is, how balanced can they be against a team they're going to have to score points against against to win? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many subplots in this one. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say this is the biggest home game in Donovan Catholic history, I would argue. I'll say I'll say it's right up there. It's definitely because they had a game where they played a, a wall team. Oh, that's wall right. Wasn't, the, the wall was the number one team in the shore, one of the juggernaut teams, but – yeah, like you're splitting hairs with that comparison. Right. If it's not one, it's like two or one A. This is a massive one considering. Yeah, but you're right. I think right. it's too hard to think you're just going to line up and run the ball almost exclusively and beat Tom's River North. I mean, mm-hmm. Rumson has the best passing quarterback or one of the best West in the state, and they needed every bit of it just to stay in the game. Uh, their running game, if I recall correctly, didn't really get a whole lot going in that game no. against North. Right. No. So, you know, that's a tall order for Calhoun. You do have Michael Thomas the third as another weapon on the outside. He will take jet sweeps and stuff coming across the formation. He's another big time playmaker for them, but he's the key. He's the guy. He's got offers from Penn state and Michigan and all these other places. And he deservedly. So he's a game breaking player. Can he make the type of like game turning 60 yard touchdowns against the secondary that features like you could make their whole secondary the all shore team if you really wanted to. 
Um, they're they're really good on that side of the ball. And yes, can their D line stand up to the rushing attack of Michael Ford coming right at them and Josh Moore and all those guys? Um, and talking to the Donovan Catholic guys after the the Long Branch game, they kind of feel like, hey, everybody forgot about us. Mm-hmm. You know, like North has had all this success. They're right down the street. They get so much publicity now that like we got great players. We've been winning a lot of games, but we, we're somehow kind of in the shadows here. This is their chance. I mean, if they want to seize the spotlight and really, you know, make the whole entire state take notice, mm-hmm. this is the game. And you have the obvious subplots. Their head coach, Dan Curcione, former defensive coordinator at Tom's River North uh, on their championship teams of the late 2000s. Chip LaBarca Jr., the offensive coordinator of Donovan, former head coach mm-hmm. from that time um, and now down the street. They, they, the players all know each other. They compete. Jalen Matthews and Michael Thomas, who are on offside, were, were both out at Penn State like a week or two ago <laughs> at recruiting visits. You know, so these guys know each other inside and out. They compete for talent in that town. So, yeah, this game has it all. I think, uh, yeah, you're going to be heading over there to Griffin Stadium. I think that's going to be quite the matchup. Yes. I mean, it's like you said, a million subplots. You can dissect it. You know, we could probably do a whole you know, 30 minutes on just that game, but. It's a huge one, and that's that American division. Like every week, you turn around, you're like, man, wait a second, there's this matchup to talk about now. So that'll be a fun one in Tom's River Friday night. We talked about Colts Neck at Manalpin, uh, Marlboro at Howell too. You know, Howell a dangerous team at zero and two, just because they've lost two games by a combined three points, both of them against ranked teams. Brandon Wright's had a really good start to the season. They're running back Evan Maloney, one of the more consistent wideouts the last two years. So. It's a dangerous team, not an easy game for Marlboro's. They go to Howell Thursday night, Jackson Middleton North again. That's a big, uh, big divisional game, the Friel Friel Township game. And then one that we didn't really touch on, Ocean at Shore. You know, Shore yeah, I was just going to bring that one up. Yeah, that that suddenly has become a real. I mean, this is this is an interesting for a couple things. Obviously, it's huge for that division. This is a chance for Shore Regional to re-inject themselves right mm-hmm. in back into the division race after losing to Manaswan. Um, and it's another one. These teams are nearby each other geographically, but they don't really ever play each other usually because yes. of group size. You know, like Ocean's usually group three, Shore's group one. So you don't see their schedules cross over too much. So I think that's a great thing because, like, I, I wouldn't, it's not a huge rivalry, but like, I'm sure a lot of these players all know each other. They're, they're right nearby each other. Um, and you have, you know, Shore trying to, knock off a bigger size school. You have Ocean trying to go to 3-0 and in a year where everybody thought they might take a step back just because they graduated Tyler Douglas. So, yeah, I think that that game has a, a lot of buzz to it, too. Exactly. And the other subplot of that is Ocean's head coach, Don Klein, was the quarterback right. at Shore Regional in 97 when they won a sectional title. So you have that there as uh, Klein, you know, a, a Shore Regional alum. And you mentioned, like, they're right down the street from each other. But because of the, you know, one's a group three, one's a group one, you know, Ocean traditionally a B North team, sure, obviously B Central or even A Central. They never really play. So this is, I think that'll be a well-attended game just because of that. Like it's a, I use that term, it's like a proximity rival. Like you're not really a rival, but when you play each other, people come out because it's like, oh, we know these people, like they're right down the road. Right. Yeah, I think, and and it's a big divisional game. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's definitely another one to, uh to keep an eye on. We're going to introduce a little 
segment of just random thoughts at the end here, call it you know, outside the box, maybe outside the tackle box since this is a football podcast. <laughs> but uh, if any of you have followed us for a long time, you know, Stump and I, you know, uh, hardcore Jets fans. I'm the optimist of the two, if you're wondering. Absolutely. Um, so by the time you're listening to us, the Jets-Bills game on Monday night will already either be in progress or completed. Uh, so you can see our either, you know, gleeful uh, Twitter posts or just infinite sadness. Because you know how it is. What's the, all right, so what's the optimistic take here? The For op- once, there's actually a lot to optimistic. be optimistic about. Yeah, that's very true. Look, it's a tough game. You know how it goes with Chats fans. Like, if they win, it's like, we're going to the Super Bowl. Like, book the tickets now. And if we lose, it's like, trade everybody. Like, we're going to get the number one pick. Like, there's no in-between. Like, that's just the way it works, being a Jet fan. Look, especially with the Dolphins and well, the Dolphins winning, uh, Patriots did lose. I thought for a second they were going to pull that one out. That would have been, like, my ultimate nightmare. I was even talking to my wife. I'm like, watch. The Patriots are winning, the Dolphins are winning, the Jets will lose like a heartbreaker and be like the only team without a win in that division. But it's going to be a battle. I'm pretty confident because the Jets have played Josh Allen really well over the last couple of seasons, especially last year when they beat them with Zach Wilson, that quarterback, and then we're close in a game where Mike Rib, Mike White, Mike Rib, Mike White had like one functioning rib left by the end of the game after Matt Milano folded him in half like a lawn chair. So I feel good with that defensively. I think the Jets' defense is even better than last year. Their de- defensive line rotation is is insane. It's not what Sala had in San Francisco because you don't have the Nick Bosa, but you have a Quinn Williams. You have a Carl Lawson. You have, like, a Bryce Huff who's a, a, a situational player but is, like, unblockable. Jermaine Johnson coming on, not to mention what they have in the secondary. So I feel really good about that. And then, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, like, you feel a lot better about the offense well, yeah, I mean, with Zach Wilson, they had no shot. Like, yeah. that guy's not an NFL quarterback. This whole notion that he's going to somehow learn and be good all of a sudden in a couple of years, forget that. But my my scarred by 40 years of Jets fandom take is I'm terrified the offensive line is going to be the Achilles heel to this whole yeah. operation. Their running, backs are, their running backs are awesome. Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame player. Gary Wilson, Lazard, like, they got all the guys – but if they can't protect him and they can't get off the ball and block, you know, run block well, it could sink the whole season. And they were kind of shuffling around in the preseason. I know Becton is a redemption story starting after kind of two lost seasons being drafted. But yeah, the ingredients are there. But yeah, that's my my low grade terror. That and the usual Jet fan thing of like, you know. Rodgers will take one false step and like grab his Achilles and then we'll be like, oh, there it goes. The whole I will never forget driving home from like my like a job, like my like high school job, like racing home to see the Jets open the season like 99 and like Vinny T going down with like the exploding Achilles. Like such a I think I like parked my car on the side of Route 70 and breaks head in hand. Like what is happening? How? So you just we're long suffering Jet fans. I'm sure there's plenty of uh you know rival fans out there who were rooting for our demise but and i get it like the jets have been kind of pumped through the media and people are sick yeah, of it but... that's sort of the, that's the other thing they're on hard knocks like yeah. everything is like this worshipful aaron Rodgers programs and like stories everywhere you can't escape it so yeah there's a lot rooting for the downfall but no this is i'll say this like these are the most expectations since probably 
the year after they made the AFC title game the first time, like when yes. Sanchez San, Sanchez came back and they ended up making it a second time. But like, that was the last time that you thought like they really could do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They just got to keep Aaron Rodgers upright and I think they'll, they'll be in it, but yeah, the offensive line terrifies me. Um, Josh Allen obviously terrify, should terrify anyone just because he's, he can take over a game, but you know, the secondary they have, the fact that Sauce can be like Revis and cut the field in half, where it's like you're not even looking over to that side because he's blanketing your best guy. Um, yeah. That's that's how Rex did it back then and got mm-hmm. the Jets to the cusp of the Super But they Bowl. never had this kind of defensive line. I will say this. It better be better than what the Giants put up at MetLife oh, last night. Like, they I got don't want to upset our, our Giants. Like, yeah, it, it can't Listen, be that bad. I, I am what I am – a Jet fan who does not dislike the Giants at all. Sometimes their fans get on my nerves with the, you know, just ragging on the Jets. And look, I get it. It's the low-hanging fruit. But I was rooting for the Giants last night until I realized, like, wait a second. Like, I have the Cowboys defense on my fantasy team. And I, like, <laughs> block punt touchdown. So after a while, I was like, yeah, keep this thing going. They got me, like, 42 points. I might win my league this week because of the Cowboys defense. So I will take that. We will not be rooting for the Cowboys uh, in week two when the Jets play them. So, uh, pray for Scott and I's sanity, not just tonight, but all throughout the season watching the Jets. So that, that'll be, uh, that'll be something to watch for the entire year. It, it, you know, it was a huge sporting weekend. I was a college football in full swing. Anything else, uh, you know, catch your eye. I know the alma mater avoided the oh. potential dreaded upset at the hands of Utah. Yeah. I mean, come on the talk of college football. It was Alabama, Texas one, and then UTEP Northwestern two was like Always. pretty much all over the TV what everybody was talking about. You might be the hey, only one who know where that game could be viewed. We ended a, a 12-game losing streak with that win. The last win we had was when we were in Dublin, Ireland last year when I was there. Um, so that was nice, yes. But no, I mean, honestly, as just a college football fan, seeing, seeing Alabama – not just get beat, but that Texas was just better than them. Like yeah. better quarterback, better offensive line, better pass rush, better running back. Like Alabama having no running game and no real like star running back and their quarterback getting just badly outplayed by the guy on the other side at home. That just, that hasn't happened in like 20 years. So yeah. that to me was the big uh, revelation. Uh, my fighting Irish and I took care of business against North Carolina state which was good to see. Uh, my favorite thing was like, which was since refuted by head coach uh, Marcus Freeman. It was reported that like they ran out of food with the long halftime delay and guys like eating hot dogs. And then Audric Estime, who's a Jersey guy, was a star running back at St. Joseph Regional in Montvale. First play comes out 80 yard TV run. And if you've never seen him, he's a massive man who runs downhill very fast. So he's kind of terrifying. But Notre Dame uh, ranked, I think, ninth in the country now. Two short conference guys on the team. You have Clarence Lewis, who played at Modern Day Prep, which obviously no longer in operation, but he was a star in high school and has been you know, a big-time player for them. He's one of their captains. And then Kevin Bauman, who was a star tight end at Red Bank Catholic, uh, is, is one of their tight ends there. So it was good to see the local shore guys having success. Uh, another thing, last thing in college football, you see the new rankings come out. It's like, this is 2006. You got Florida State, Texas, and USC, like all in the top like seven. So that's kind of cool. See those traditional programs back. A little bit of nostalgia, at least for me. Just and don't ask last, me what. Just don't ask me what conference they're in now. Yeah, that's a discussion for a different. Day. You need like the the flow chart. To, yeah. That's like the always sunny in Philadelphia thing with the strings <laughs> going everywhere to figure out who's where now. 
Um, and then lastly, for me, like I have, I don't know when this came out last couple of years. Like I really got into watching tennis, like especially the majors. Uh, this was a great summer of tennis, like Coco Goff winning the U S open 19 years old, coming back to set down was like an awesome moment. Seeing her break down on the court, just like pure joy going to hug her parents. She seems like an awesome kid, like extremely mature, well-spoken. So that was a lot of fun uh, watching that. And then the greatness of Novak Djokovic, you know, winning his 24th major. I didn't watch much of that football was on. So I was, you know, getting my NFL fix, but the Coco Golf win on Saturday was pretty awesome. Like that's one of those moments, just especially as a parent, like you see a young kid win like that. And like, I can only imagine what that's like, like watching your, your child, like accomplish their dream. She's only 19. So like she burst onto the scene when she was 15 years old, which is, I know tennis lends itself to that, but that's still insane. Uh, and just a really cool moment to see her, you know, hometown favorite us open, all that stuff. Oh, I'm sure you watched her exclusive interview on the today show today. My day job, you know, it. my real job, my <laughs> full-time job. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, and and you're right. Seeing her parents get to enjoy that moment. It's so funny. Like, it's like, I've been grinding in all these years and I'm, I don't think it is. You're 19. I know. But like, she has been. been 35. Is, right. It really has like been eight. like five, four or five years. Pretty incredible. Uh, it just shows that uh, every sport's different with the kind of the path you have to take to get there and, and the way that structure is. But, you know, a really good uh, weekend of sports and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun fall, both in the short conference with football uh, and in the NFL and college football. So we'll be talking about that all season. So whether you like the Jets talk or not, you got to deal with it, at least at the end of the podcast every week. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Uh, you know, week three should be a fun one. We'll be back uh, same time next week, wrapping it up, you know, looking ahead and kind of touching on some random stuff. So, uh, you know, Scott Stubb and Bob Adders, thanks again. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, you know, Varsity Link, Jersey Mike's, um, and everyone that helps make this possible, doing what we love to do, talking short conference football. So we'll be back again next week. And thank you for listening to the Shore Sports Network football podcast. All right, cool. My friend is at the game and he just sent me like there's a rainbow over the uh like stadium. <laughs>